Welcome to the Underwater Technology Podcast from SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. My name's Emily Boddy, and each week we bring you interviews with our members, guests and colleagues from the global underwater technology community. Podcast 48, 11th of February 2021. This week, SUT Council member Andrew Connolly speaks to Dr Ed Steele from the UK Met Office in Exeter about the range of weather and data products that the Met Office is able to provide to offshore industry users, including ship operators, offshore hydrocarbons platforms, helicopter ops and marine renewables. Ed is also active in the southwest chapter of our South of England branch. So in our podcast today, we've got Ed Steele. Uh, Ed Steele's down in Exeter with the Met Office. Met Office are involved in the uh, SUT as corporate members. So Ed, do a quick introduction for yourself. Uh, who who are you? Where did you train? And how did you get to where you are now? Thanks very much for having me, Andrew. As a lifelong sailor, I think a marine career for me was probably inevitable. I studied ocean science at the University of Plymouth, originally with the intention of joining the Royal Navy as a hydrographic and meteorological officer. But it was during my undergraduate degree that I discovered enjoyment for scientific research and had the opportunity to continue my studies by undertaking a doctorate in marine physics. Together with Dr. Alex Nemo-Smith, my work there explored the three-dimensional building blocks of ocean turbulence using a technique analogous to digital poo sticks, where four underwater high-resolution, high-frame-rate digital cameras were applied to tracking suspended sediments as they were invected through the 3D sample volume of the instrument that then allowed the small-scale coherence structures to be inferred from these particle trajectories. These in turn were used to assess the suitability of both traditional one-dimensional measurement assumptions, as well as various subgrid scale turbulence closure schemes that were used by the current generation of numerical ocean models. Now, as well as the usual challenges of deploying instrumentation underwater, which I'm sure will be all too familiar to many of the SUT members, a particular problem of using the naturally occurring sediment is that these are far from the small spherical neutrally buoyant ideal flow tracer that you would want in in an experiment, meaning that a post-processing approach based on numerical variational data assimilation was required to faithfully restore the flow field and therefore improve the quality of the results. This part of the work very much benefited from the input and instruction of Dr. Andre Vlasenko, who is a collaborator from the Max Planck Institute for Meteorology. And although I didn't explicitly know it at the time, on reflection, the skills developed in combining both numerical modelling and observations provided an almost perfect basis for the first role as a Met Ocean post-processing scientist that I would later take up at the Met Office when I joined the organisation in late 2015. Wow, that, that sounds incredibly impressive. So did you get involved in the Met Office straight after completing your PhD? Well, by the end of my PhD, I'd abandoned my initial plan of joining the Royal Navy, having actively committed to pursuing a career in research. And immediately following my viva, I did a short stint working as a postdoctoral research fellow in physical oceanography as part of a large multi-institutional NERC-funded project. But while this was enjoyable and productive, Ultimately, I knew the lack of stability and somewhat itinerant lifestyle of an early career academic researcher wasn't what I wanted long term and sought a more permanent role. 
in this, it was particularly important to me that my career wasn't just focused on gratuitous maths applied to theoretical oceanography studies, for example, but actually involved industry-relevant applied science at its core. The Met Office was therefore perfect in terms of both its southwest location, helpfully close to the coast for sailing and surfing, and its interest, as is epitomised by our corporate purpose of helping people make better decisions to stay safe and thrive. In many ways, being a civil servant is actually not too far from my original intention of a career in the armed forces, so perhaps this is not an unexpected step in that sense either. I've now been at the Met Office for over five years, having progressed from scientist to senior scientist and more recently to science manager, where I have responsibility for the scientific provision of weather and climate services for the commercial marine sector. That sounds like a good compromise between uh, sort of military involvement and civil service, you know, with a, a little bit more freedom, perhaps. For, for listeners, can you tell us about what the Met Office do there and, and what's the remit of, of your team specifically? Yes, so the Met Office is the UK's National Weather Service. So we provide weather and climate related services to government departments, the armed forces, civil aviation, the public, as well as industry. We're actually a trading fund with the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy operating on a commercial basis under set targets. Specifically, the team that I lead, the Marine Applications Team, develops and delivers capability to enable our MetOcean customers to manage the impact of weather and climate on their business. So we provide both operational products and consultancy services using predictive numerical atmospheric and ocean models to elicit actionable advice in a way that's meaningful to decision makers in the offshore oil and gas and marine renewable energy industry. Met Office being part of, of government as you know as a civil service. You also sell your services to the, the wider industry? Yeah, great question. It can be a bit confusing, but as a government trading fund, the Met Office business model and accounting system basically distinguishes between two types of customer. So government bodies requiring services which cannot sensibly be competed and services that are provided on a commercial, usually competed basis to customers both inside and outside government. And this distinction is important because it helps the Met Office demonstrate its compliance with competition law. So the main services, or rather the main customers for non-competed services to central government are the Public Weather Service Customer Group, the MOD, Bayes, DEFRA, while services to business, which are either competed or capable of being competed, are dictated by commercial tenders and market conditions. Oh, that's re- really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a a benefit there to being diverse. You know, looking outside of of government projects involved in that as well. With a view to our, our members at the SUT and the um, the underwater environment, what products do you have uh, within your remit to to help them? So probably our most famous offering is the gale warning service that we've provided uninterrupted since 1867, which has evolved to become probably what's the most iconic forecast in history, the shipping forecast. However, probably more relevant to this audience are some of our more bespoke or specialist MetOcean industry products that help users minimise weather-related risk, reduce operational costs and ensure safety at life at sea. So these span site-specific forecasts for the management of day-to-day operations, to solutions for planning the route of a vessel, for example, or even briefings with expert operational meteorologists. 
We also conduct analysis for downtime, weather windows, frequency distributions, and operational delays using hindcast, archived forecast, and climate data sets, exploiting ex advanced statistical modeling techniques, as well as provision of research as a service, which is linked to our consultancy activities. Do you get involved in research projects, either either proactive projects off, off the, the back of your own team, or do you get involved in consultancy research projects? Uh, yes, we get involved in a mixture of different projects, uh, ranging from uh, academic to industry uh, types in, in their nature, and really user collaboration, engagement and iteration are fundamental to how we develop new capability to support improved Metocean decision-making. Have you got specific examples? Are you allowed to share specific examples of, of projects of these of these types, help the audience understand what things we're speaking about? Uh, yeah, so one of my favourite projects followed an approach from an offshore operator looking to reliably maximise their decision-making horizon. Now, such an approach requires exploitation of ensemble forecasts comprising multiple individual forecasts to account for the inherent uncertainty within a single model run, particularly when you're looking beyond about three to five days ahead. However, the challenge was that despite the enormous potential of these ensemble forecasts, their perceived complexity has long presented a barrier to their effective adoption from many users, which has limited the opportunity for robust early decision-making by the industry. So to assist with this, we worked closely with key personnel, including those from the energy company, the marine contractor and the warranty surveyor to understand their needs and translate this into practical insight and innovation. And so our solution blended existing academic ideas on user-orientated verification with novel task-specific application, allowing us to objectively simplify each forecast time step into a binary go or no-go indicator based on the cost-loss impact of the decision. And so what this meant was the result effectively combined the skill of the ensemble forecast with the simplicity of a traditional single deterministic forecast that could then be used successfully in operation and seamlessly integrate with the customer's safe systems of work. And this was actually a particularly exciting project for me personally, because in addition to this outcome, the subsequent awareness that the approach generated within wider industry has helped catalyze an increased interest in ensemble forecast uptake it's also helped demonstrate best practice in their use and ultimately evolved industry ambitions regarding the decision potential uh, that these sorts of emerging tools unlock for the future. As I see it, you're always trying to pre predict what would seem to the normal person as a very unpredictable thing. You know, we all, we all see the weather and climate as, as being unpredictable. And, and in a world where the weather uh, seems to be becoming more unpredictable or, or industry factors becoming more un unpredictable. Do you see the requirements uh, of, of what you work in evolving through that? Yeah, so I think traditionally uh, the oil and gas industry has been a very conservative and cash-rich one, but this has substantially shifted. For example, the exploration in more challenging locations, such as the areas west of Shetland, and decommissioning in mature basins, such as the North Sea. At the same time, it's also diversified, as is evident from the drive for low carbon approaches and net zero emissions, with an increase in investment in areas such as floating wind or renewables, aquaculture and carbon capture and storage, for example. Now, Metocean Weather and Climate play 
a critical part across different stages of all of these project life cycles, including design, installation, operations and maintenance and decommissioning, with considerable commonality between the requirements of conventional installations and the newer types of activity, albeit these happening at different scales. For example, the large scale of oil and gas infrastructure in low numbers compared to the smaller scale of renewables devices with multiple units. Now, obviously, throughout this, safety remains the overwhelming priority for operators, but the recent relative downturn in oil and gas prices, combined with some of the subsidies and increased competition for charter assets across the wider sector, has also prompted the need for greater efficiency. And so in terms of offshore sector requirements, this ultimately translates to a desire to make better decisions earlier to develop impact-based solutions rather than relying on standard model diagnostics and to also embrace the new opportunities afforded by automation, connectivity and digitalization. Do you keep an eye on, on new technologies, new sciences that have been developed or available to you to help address your challenges? Yeah, well, we're actively involved in, in developing some of these solutions in in partnership with with our customers and the wider industry. And so to, I guess, to realize and support their vision, the priorities from a capability development perspective at the Met Office are basically focused around further exploitation of ensemble forecasting in a seamless manner from days to weeks to months ahead, which allows identification and also prioritization of suitable weather windows. Also, we're looking at specific ways of mapping these into industry-relevant impact terms, for example, the inference of vessel motion from wave period and direction, and this might be something that's demanded by future marine warranty standards, for example, and also facilitating improved access to these optimally post-processed data via APIs that permits their use in third-party platforms and applications on demand as the new data becomes available in real time. So with, uh, with the view to our, our audience, is there scope for industry to get involved in, in what you do? Very much so, and probably more than, more than you might imagine. We're constantly listening and engaging, and, and actually part of my role is to provide that industry perspective or feedback that industry perspective when it comes to informing and prioritising future model developments. So very keen for engagement. At the SUT, we get involved in, in various working groups and advisory bodies. Is that something that the Met Office gets involved in as well? Yes. As you may expect from an organisation of our reputation and status, our participation in these is fairly comprehensive and spans academia, government and industry at both national and international level. So personally, I'm actively involved with the Society for Underwater Technology and particularly the Southwest chapter, as you mentioned, but also the Institute of Marine Engineering, Science and Technology, where I serve as Associate Editor of the Journal of Operational Oceanography. I hold a formal visiting research status at the University of Plymouth, as well as many other roles on advisory groups, committees and projects and the like to help promote best practice and support adoption of the latest science and technology within the industry. Excellent. Yeah. And in terms of bringing up the Met Office team of the future, um, do, you, do you help participate in STEM activities for, for bringing up new students, new, new workforce? Yes. So as an organisation, science, technology, engineering and maths are very much at the heart of what we do. And I think we lead or participate in about 100 plus STEM activities or events throughout the year. 
probably given the current COVID situation, it's it's particularly pertinent for me to mention some of the excellent resources for schools and the activities for young people that we have available on our website that might help provide some ideas, tools, or maybe even respite for parents with children at home in lockdown. So keen to signpost those. But more generally, Many of our staff, myself included, are enrolled as STEM ambassadors and in more normal times host work experience and placement students or apprentices at our headquarters and other sites, calls for which are advertised on our career pages. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good, you know, having, having such a, an active STEM involvement. So you mentioned that you, you're already involved in the SUT Southwest branch, but, you know, for people who uh, who are outside of that, that branch or don't know you already, and if they want to, to, to find out more about uh, what you do or get in touch, what's the best way to, to get in contact with either yourself or, or your team? Uh, you can contact my team via email. So the address for that is marine at metoffice.gov.uk, or people can feel free to reach out and connect via LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter, whichever is easiest. Oh, that's, that's great. Thanks very much, Ed. Thoroughly interesting. Seems like a, a very detailed, uh, sort of scientifically involved topic, which hopefully the listeners have found very interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. I I would say on the on that final point of the scientifically involved topic is that that really probably user collaboration engagement and iteration are fundamental really to to the way that we work and look to develop new capability to support improved metocean decision making. I often jokingly liken my job to that of an iPhone developer the aim being to leverage as much science and technology as possible under the hood, ideally without the users even realising it, to help simplify that science in a lossless manner, yet present the information in such a way that contains the full potential of more complex forecast information that can be then utilised by a decision maker in an intuitive way. Yeah, I, I, I perhaps understand the challenge. You know, it's, it's something that has a lot of complexity within the science but the uh, the beauty of it is making it understandable by the normal person, so to speak. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's that insight and creativity that's that's really an area that's often missed by many people, for the simple reason that it requires quite an intimate rather than superficial understanding of the user and their specific challenges. And I think it's particularly tricky because, from experience, very rarely when somebody wants a solution do they know exactly what they need and so enlisting this is therefore more effectively achieved not by simply delivering exactly what they say but delivering what they mean and requires recognizing that these two things aren't always the same and so I guess it's my belief that if you understand the detail of how a specific business or task operates and the actual outcome that they're seeking and the science solution in our case, effective use of weather and climate data, then effectively designs itself. If some of our audience are, are captured by the topic and, and want to follow in your footsteps and, and become a, a climate forecaster and, and all the you know all the detailed science, how would you recommend they, they go about that? I think physical sciences are a good basis. So a lot of our uh, science intake come from a maths or physics or applied science basis such as oceanography or meteorology um, and and really it's well following your interest and that's and that's what's worked for me yeah yeah 
it's going back to the STEM subjects really, and and there's a lot that can be done with them. You know, if if you get your core maths and physics, and you know uh, other sciences uh, related, I guess. But um, I, I imagine for for your industry, it's going to be much based on physics and maths. Yes, I th- I think very much based on physics and maths is a is a firm foundation. Um, I think as you get towards the more applied nature of science, then then also that that broader business understanding and an almost business consultancy type skill set comes in to to help extract some of the information um, that's that's necessary to sort of feeding some of the developments is also useful as with everything it it's whatever whatever skills people have you can you can always build on those and and extend those and that's and that's part of the fun and and part of career development as you know from from what the SCT tries to promote as well well certainly yeah yeah and it's it's a very good point to to keep in mind the the sort of business studies type part of, of education because ultimately we're in a world that uh, needs to have a you know a good business case to to get on really so um, yeah that's a very good point well i think i think one of the major revelations in many ways of doing scientific research in an industry capacity is actually how much easier it is relative to some of the more theoretical research that goes on in academia um, largely because you're being provided with a ready source of of problems and therefore you can enjoy the fun part of of being able to tackle and solve some of those rather than in in some of the more perhaps blue skies applications where people are thinking about conceptual issues and then within that same ecosystem if you like then how to solve them and of course both are both are very necessary in contributing to that larger knowledge base but from a personal satisfaction point of view, it's particularly nice to be able to work with some, something that people tangibly use and pick up afterwards. Excellent. Yeah, well, hopefully we've captured the imagination of, of some of our audience. Let's hope so. And uh, look forward to seeing the next SUT event in the Southwest when meetings resume. Certainly, yes. Yes. All Brilliant. right. Yeah, thanks, well, Andrew. Yeah, th- thanks, Ed. All <laughs> right. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about SUT, you can go to sut.org. If you'd like to get in touch with us about appearing on a future podcast or find out how you can sponsor an upcoming podcast, you can contact info at sut.org. Please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Music